0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and it is another great one today. We've got a couple of great guests. We will talk in a few moments with our old friend Todd Benzman. He has made me think... well, every week we almost we talk to him almost every week, and he's got another piece actually front page of the New York Post. Todd Benzman, superstar reporter, investigative reporter, of course, a national security fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies—that's his day job—and uh, he's super. So we'll talk with him. Also, Jerome Corsi, uh, Doctor Jerry Corsi, a longtime friend of the late Phyllis Schlafly, has written a bunch of books. He's got a new book. It's it's I, I would describe it as a resource for the climate change fight. Lots of facts and figures and arguments. Uh, he's always interesting to talk to, and we'll talk with him. All right. First, what do you need to know today? Well, what you need to know today is the number one issue that is not being covered is, in fact, the uh, issue that we're going to talk with Todd Bensman of the Center for Immigration Studies about, and that is the border. I actually believe, I do believe that there was, a, I think it was a tweet um, from, um Uh, Is it is his name? John Ellis. John Ellis is a reporter, kind of a retired reporter. um, And uh, yeah, John Ellis. And he he tweets um, a sort of uh, a daily report. He calls them news items, Ellis. And he tweeted about this issue. And he wrote, quote, killer issue. The number of migrant arrests at the southern border has already hit a record. And they are on track to reach two million by the end of the fiscal year. And he links to a Wall Street Journal article. Here's what you need to know: the lawlessness at the border, our southern border, where the cartels are bringing in fentanyl, they're trafficking, uh, you know, um, underage uh, minority, uh, underage women, um, minors, uh, sex trafficking. Uh, the violations of all kinds of things it doesn 't matter there 's actually pushback from someone who said it 's not the illegal aliens who are bringing the fentanyl across it 's actually being across being brought across by the organized efforts at the borders with bribery with big trucks and getting them to look the other way that 's not my point. My point is the same set of principles that make it so. That there is no border enforcement is a set of policies. It doesn't matter if the if the if the absolute poros, the absolute non border, the non enforcement along the border doesn't matter if that attributes to the illegal aliens pouring across across deserts and and with mules and all that or. Again, because we're not enforcing the border, we have a corrupt system that allows trucks to come through. I don't care why. I don't care how. I don't care what you think that is. It doesn't matter to me. What matters right now is that the American people do not have a government in office that will enforce the border, and therefore, we are being led as it stands on the policy of the border by the cartels, or if you prefer, the narco- State of Mexico. I think the attorney general of Mexico could have been one of the regional, like the state attorneys general, was just arrested for corruption because it's a narco state. It's a, it's a, and, and if you, if you prefer, it's a cartel state because it's not just the drugs, it's also the sex trafficking and the, uh, and the other aspects of it. It's even as a a political matter, it's even people, the Mexican and other governments are happy to send people up to America because they work and they send money back. And that helps the local economy. So, the, what you need to know is the number one issue in the fall is probably the direction of the country. You know, things like jobs and the stock market's tanking and all these kinds of things. Inflation is up. That's probably how people feel about the leadership. You know, the Afghanistan withdrawal that killed all those Marines, all this kind of stuff. It, it's people just feel like it's going in the wrong direction and they associate with Democrats. But the number one issue in my mind, the number one threat to our country and the number one issue, if people knew about it, is the border and the fact that our border is controlled by the cartels in Mexico. And we sit back and pretend that this is OK. We're, we have a set of policies that are not enforced, whether it's the border lo- laws, whether it's the actual border itself, whether it's the appropriation of over one billion dollars to continue to build the wall and water border fences that uh, uh, Biden has just not used he said he's not going to use it it was appropriated and approved by the government by the congress and signed by the president and it's supposed to be used and it's it's not so he's deciding not to do it whatever the reasons however we got here we're at the point where our nation is being transformed npr national public radio last week ran a piece it's been thoroughly debunked and the piece was about polling and the polling was about americans who say they believe that illegals are getting more benefits than the people who are here, citizens. And NPR refutes this. They they debunk it. Their own debunk has been debunked. NPR has been made to look foolish. First of all, let me say this. If you have one illegal alien here using $1, if the guy wasn't here, he would use $0. So if your argument is whether a, an illegal alien is in America and uses $10, and an American citizen, on average, uses $1. And you say, well, that's $9 more for the illegal alien. And the pushback from NPR is, no, 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 no. The individual citizen uses $10 too. The U.S. citizen uses $10, as does the illegal alien. And my answer would be, yeah. But if the illegal alien wasn't here, he wouldn't use $10. He'd use $0. You see my point? It's not only a comparison. And by the way, the Center for Immigration Studies has totally debunked Stephen Camarota debunked it in a piece that said, no, 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 that whatever whatever NPR wishes the re- reality was, illegal aliens do utilize government services in, a high, w- in higher amounts than regular U.S. citizens. For all the reasons you'd expect, by the way, more American citizens would have insurance, for example, and an illegal alien wouldn't. So they'd go to an emergency room and you'd be getting indigent care, et cetera, et cetera, example after example. But again, I would drive back to this point. Do it a different way. Say you have 1,000 illegal aliens in a community, and they need to go to school. Let's say they're all 1,000 children, and they need to go to school. They go into the school system, and there's 1,000 U.S. citizen kids in school. So now there's 2,000 kids in school, and you say, well, the U.S. citizens are using the same amount of resource as the illegal aliens. There's no difference. Don't complain that they're different. You can make that argument. I don't think it's true because I think the illegal aliens will have lots of issues with language and all. But the more important thing is if there were not a thousand illegal aliens, you'd only have a thousand people, kids in the school. You see the problem? I mean, it's not just a problem of the amount of resources being used. It's a problem of the amount of resources in the country. And you do not get, no matter what people say, you do not get illegal aliens paying taxes in the same amount and participating in the economy in the same way U.S. citizens do. That just doesn't happen for all kinds of reasons, the kinds of reasons that have to do with the fact that illegal aliens are not going to pay taxes. Some of them, some of them do. They certainly pay uh, a sales tax, of course, but they're also not enrolled in the systems that necessarily may bring participation. For example, a lot of the money that illegal aliens make, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they send it back to their home country, back to their families. They don't use it for example to write checks to local charities the united way and others it's just a different priority based on who they are and let me be clear i'm not saying their priorities are off for them the priorities may be on they might be spot on and they may be in the right direction and the right instincts but the reality is the lack of a border fentanyl is now killing a hundred thousand americans about ninety nine thousand of them are young men there's a few older men and a few women but it's mostly a drug that's sent from mexico managed by the car excuse me sent from china the constituent parts and and managed by the cartels and brought into the country and killing americans that's the border whatever number you want to put on it there are tens of thousands of girls sex trafficked across the border okay if you if you're a liberal you should care about this the people that are dying—I mean—and then they're being trafficked. These are terrible things, right? So you should care. It's not a conservative thing; it shouldn't be. And then the economy's off, and all the other things are off. I mean, it's just a terrible, it's a disaster. But if you just care about the sex trafficking and you just care about the drug overdose, just those two, you should be up in arms, and we should be having—I mean, we should—I'm—I'm I, I'm for this now. Let's go ahead and annex Mexico. Let's just call them the Commonwealth of Mexico, like Puerto Rico, and just put them in the country. Might as well. We might as well at this point. We'd be better served to get control that way and then go down and clear out the cartels. Or better yet, just don't even annex anything and just clear out the cartels. Drone the cartels. Bomb the cartels until they stop sex trafficking, smuggling people who are risk their lives and drugs. Until they stop those, just bomb them all the time until they stop. That's what you need to know. Number one issue. It's a number one issue, and it should be the number one issue. We should bring it up. We should bring it up. It's a, and it, Because the, the failure of the Biden administration must lead to a change in the next administration, in the next Congress. They have to be hard line on this issue. They cannot hide from it. It is the number one issue facing this country right now. Is the control of the border and somehow, not somehow, clearly stopping, having the will to do it, stopping the narco terrorism and the cartels and the control. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Jerome Kersey. Jerome Kersey, wow, that's funny. Jerome Kersey is a basketball player. Jerome Corsi, Dr. Corsi, as well as uh, Todd Benzman. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We will be back in a moment. <laughs> We'll welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report you know my listeners uh dr jerry corsi's our guest they know how much i love books and when i got flagged about a week or so ago a book a new book by jerome corsi dr jerome corsi's written a lot of books this one is called the truth about energy global warming and climate change and it's post hill press which has been doing some great stuff especially so i said i grabbed on that and i and i said let's talk with him now we were just talking off the air jerry corsi was for decades a friend of the late phyllis schlafly when she uh, ran her eagle forum and all and they crossed over he in academia and writing and her in activism and they crossed paths a whole bunch of times and i, I know uh, uh jerry that she called considered you a great friend and and uh, all the way through as as she would say you were she would say about someone who's her friend it was such a you were such a help to her um so uh, welcome back to the program how are you well, Ed, it's great to be back with you.
2: You know, I'm a very strong supporter of Eagle Forum. I'm, yep. I sorely miss Phyllis Shalafli. She was uh, just a wonderful woman, a friend, mentor, associate. I spoke with her many times, attended. I, you're doing a great job, and I greatly wow. commend you and Eagle Forum, and I'm a great friend of the organization. And uh, Phyllis is in a better place where we
1: yeah, all we'll hope, hope to be. It. Strive. Yeah, we needed some more work, you and I. So uh, uh, Jerome Corsi is our guest. It's literally, you go to his bibliography, it's dozens and dozens, of books, essays, all kinds of things, all through the, the last, say, 30 to 40 years, politics, policy, all o- uh, overlaid together. This new book, uh, uh, Jerry Corsi, first of all, I, as I read this book, I was interested, um, The it's, it's dedicated to. Uh, mark morano and climate the dedication from the author is to them and then the introduction is from mark morano Wh- who's mark morano in this battle
2: well mark has been a great friend for many years too so since about 2004 he um worked for senator inhofe and was very strong in the you know uh, combating these this global warming climate hoax, climate change hoax and he created Climate Climatedepot com C L I M A T E D E P O T dot com. Yep. Which is a um a, a really important site mm-hmm. if you take a look at it for Climate News. And he's just been a great warrior. He goes he's been thrown out of more international conferences than I've attended.
1: <laughs> Well, and so he and he would, would it be safe to say in some sense when you read about him, he's kind of a a a, a, a debunker or maybe a, a hoax uh, breaker, like an old code breaker. And, and what he what this book became when he describes it, I thought was the best description as I read through it. And my listeners will also know, uh, Jerry, that I read the first and last chapters and then I come tearing through the rest of it. And so I'm probably about halfway through. But when I read this, I thought well, what Mark Morano says at the very beginning, which is, hey, this is the facts. Lots of analysis. This is what we need to get into people's hands because they're just getting buffeted by images of Greta or, uh, you know, or other distortions. Right. And,
2: and that's right. I mean, this is a 400 page book. It, As you see, the blurbs, the pre-publication reviews by top, yeah. top scientists who love this book.
1: Mm-hmm. Incredible.
2: I mean, these are uh professors emeritus at Harvard, at Princeton, of physics. I mean, they, they, I would, uh, the first part of the book is dedicated to the politics showing how the neo-Marxists have really co-opted a environmental movement that initially started decades ago as a let's preserve the Earth positive force, but now it's become a neo-Marxist force demonizing carbon dioxide, which, by the way, we exhale trees inhale producing oxygen uh were they, these people Marx says now that the aocs have taken over the agenda they were malthusians who thought there were too many people on the earth and now they found a way if they can demonize carbon dioxide that's the way that they can l- end capitalism because hydrocarbon fuels burn carbon dioxide so if that's evil that's going to destroy us all we have to stop burning hydrocarbon fuels uh, the radical left knows that the renewables, the so-called renewables, gre- you know, green energy. I don't know what's green about solar or wind. They don't <laughs> seem to have a color to me. But yeah. at any rate, are uh, they clean energies? I also don't know what's clean about them. Uh, certainly not the things needed to produce solar panels or wind turbines. At any rate, point is uh, they want to demonize carbon dioxide, so we quit using hydrocarbon fuels. We go to a much more expensive ultimately and lower standard of energy uh, where we have to reduce our standard of living we have to do things like they're saying now eat insects etc and you know basically reduce the number of people in the world and let them be in control Uh, and it's a totalitarian agenda i point out the science is completely uh, bent distorted and the true climate science does not support it and a great portion of the book is spent explaining the science. And I want to start out with a couple of simple points, Ed, that I think will make Yeah, please. Uh well, number one, carbon dioxide, first of all, the Earth let's not talk about big biblical terms. Let's just talk about the Earth in scientific terms. Uh, the scientists say the earth is four point six billion years old. Mm-hmm. Okay, now eighty percent of that time the earth was uninhabitable on the surface, pre Cambrian. It was no, there was no – and it, the Earth had predominant amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It was a much warmer place. Right. About the last 500 million years – I mean, now we're into millions, not billions, but the Earth had nothing going on. That's when life came on Earth, and carbon dioxide has been reducing ever since the planet started populating. 175 million years ago, there were 7,500 parts per million – In other words, of a million parts in the atmosphere, only 7,500 were carbon dioxide. But today, that's 175 million years ago. Today, there's only 400 parts per million in the atmosphere of carbon dioxide, dramatically reduced. Now, they say it's doubled since the Industrial Revolution. Yes, 1750s, carbon dioxide was only 200 parts per million of the atmosphere. But we haven't burned up doubling it. And secondly... We have had massive Earth changes that have gone on over millions of years. And I say here, for instance, the ice ages. Mm -hmm. And they we've had much more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere with the ice ages. And yet the Earth doesn't stop the ice ages because the fundamental reality of sun and light is pretty simple. Go outside, look up at the sky. That yellow thing up there is not a tree ornament. The sun heats the earth and <laughs> it, it produces the light and the temperature on earth. And when the sun is burning less, for instance, Milankovitch cycles, how we go around the earth, the cycle, the orbit of the earth is not a circle, but I don't, it, it is an elliptical orbit, like an egg. And when it gets most elliptical, most far out away from the sun, about every 100,000 years, we have an ice age. Right. Regardless of the amount of carbon dioxide. And when the Earth is a little bit lazy, like it was during the Little Ice Age, which the global warmers don't want to tell you about, it didn't end until, uh, actually, you see Washington crossing the Delaware, all those big, huge ice flows. Well, the Delaware doesn't freeze over like that anymore. That was the Little Ice Age. And by the way, the sun was at a minimum in 1619 to about 1719. The legitimate climate scientists call it the Maunder Minimum, So the second effect is when the sun is lazy, when it has less sunspots, it naturally has less irradiance hitting the earth and we get a cooling period. Mm. These are no effect whatsoever. of carbon dioxide, which is a trace element, not big enough to make the effects attributed to it by the global warmers.
1: We're ta- we're talking with uh, Jerome Kersey, and and again, his uh, book, which um is uh is out. I think um, Jerome, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it out uh, yet, or is it coming out? Is it? No, it, it's out now.
2: Okay, and it's in a hardcover edition That's right it. now. Which, okay, and we put it out. It's you know it's a 400 page book with thousand footnotes. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, expensive because it took us to print it. Now, yeah. I think within the next week, we've arranged it with Amazon. We're going to have a paperback. I've decided, and uh, Anthony Zaccardi, the publisher, pr- we work together Post Hill Press. We want to get this in the hands of people, so we're immediately putting out a paperback edition, which should be available by next week at a much cheaper price.
1: Okay. Um, we Let me keep moving. By the way, uh, Mark Morano at Climate Depot, uh, is his Twitter feed is pretty active, climatedepot.com. I'll put that up on social media. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Jerome Curs- Corsi about his new book. Uh, let me get to part of the book. The late Phyllis Schlafly, whom you knew and loved so much, um, once stood in the doorway, I can picture it right now, of, of my office coming from her office, and she said, well, I finished all the chapters. She was writing a book called who killed the american family she said now i got the last chapter what do we do about it and so your last chapter in this book is quo vadimus where are we going and the quote i like there's two quotes from uh, commentators or i guess scientists um the in here and the um the second one is from a professor at George Washington University. I think it is. And he says, the reality is that climate change has become a secular religion with an orthodoxy that brooks no dissent. So my question here is when you, when you think about where are we going? Uh, it feels like. I don't know. I always say these numbers, uh, Jerry, that a third of the country will believe anything CNN says. A third of the country is going to believe whatever Fox says. In the middle, the rest of them are probably checking out or whatever it is. But We have tens of millions of people. That doesn't matter what you tell them. It doesn't matter how many footnotes. They are going where they're going, and Greta Thornburg is their their leader.
2: Well, the problem with that, and yes, I think this has become a a worldwide craze, like a phenomenon, a, a a folly. It's like... You know, let's, let's burn all the women at the stake because they must be witches. You know, I mean, this is really, you know, we, we've had these kind of follies hit human beings repeatedly, I guess, since they've been human beings. <laughs> right. but, the, but the point is, they're now projecting all kinds of terrible damages. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at articles that were published in the past weekend that say, for instance, that uh, we are going to have a mass extinction because of climate change by 2070. If the Earth heats up another two and a half degrees Celsius, which is about six degrees Fahrenheit, approximately, they're saying we're going to have a nuclear war. This is the Daily Mail, right? We're going to have financial crises, extinction-like pandemics. I mean, so now they they're saying if you don't listen to what we are saying, then you're all going to die because the burning of hydrocarbon fuels, which by the way are natural product of the Earth. I read a chapter showing you they're not fossil fuels. Been arguing this since I wrote Black Gold Stranglehold in 2005. Uh, they're naturally produced. I've got the equations, the fischer tropsch equations, the German scientists in the Weimar Republic synthesized showing how the earth makes hydrocarbon fuels in the mantle of the earth. Everything on the earth, God intended us to use productively. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can use anything destructively, but hydrocarbon fuels can be burned cheaply and they're inexpensive. Mm-hmm. And the idea, you know, we went doubled hydrocarbon. Uh, we doubled the use of carbon dioxide. There's in the beginning of the industrial revolution. Two hundred parts per million to 400 parts per million, and we haven't burned up the planet doubling the carbon dioxide since 1750, when the Industrial Revolution started. But suddenly, if we raise the temperature one or two degrees Celsius, we're going to kill everybody. Now, that's a panic. That's a craze. That's saying, if you don't submit to us, you'll all die. There's a bad flu around, Going to call a COVID lockdown. Stay in your house. Close down the economy. There's a crisis and energy coming around. We're going to destroy the climate, even though we have to go to lesser energy, and everybody's going to suffer eating insects, etc. Don't worry about it because we'll save the planet. We're going to lock down with a energy. So everybody, it's totalitarian. It's control. It's the demons of the Marxist world who figured out a way finally to scare people into walking into slavery.
1: The uh, the book again is uh, Jerome uh, Corsi's newest book, "The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change: Exposing Climate Lies in an Age of Disinformation." Uh, I've got to run, uh, Jerry. Uh, thank you, as always. We'll have you back on again. It's a it's a per- it's an important time. We could have talked another hour about uh, things like uh, Germany saying they they're going to stop um, all their crazy green policies. They're going to go back to nuclear because they suddenly realize they're buying a, a bunch of their uh, <laughs> fuel from uh, Russia and it's not working out. So. Well, there's a million pieces of how this religion has driven people to act against their interest i think and and uh, so this will be a helpful tool so thanks very much Jerry appreciate it
2: and I think against the interests of god so yeah. Yeah, this 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 is a critical issue we've got to deal with it. God bless you and lay ego forum i uh, i truly admire the organization and i'm a great friend
1: well thank continue
2: you to be a phyllis schlafly
1: good thanks very much i appreciate that sentiment too so we will take a break everybody don't forget i'll put this up on social media over uh, at dot and uh, link to it on our social media channel so we'll take a quick break we'll be right back again it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. So many times I've been asking my old friend Todd Bensman, okay, I listen to your report from the border. I hear your analysis of the policy and the law, and I say to myself, why isn't everyone paying attention? And then I look a couple days ago in the New York Post. There's Todd Bensman on a byline, and the title is How Selfies Fuel Rise in Illegal Migrants. So first of all, welcome back, Todd Bensman. But more importantly, that feels like more uh widespread coverage of the issue i mean that's that's got to be that that alone is satisfying yes yeah well
3: i mean the new york post is uh, widely read it's a huge circulation newspaper and they've got issues there because greg abbott is providing buses right. to vo- <laughs> volunteer uh immigrants who want to go there and right. I, I would dare say that without the Buses, they would just pay their own way on their own buses. So I mean, they're going there one way or another. But the piece was really about how the immigrants who are showing up there are finding these really welcome arms, these open welcome arms. With they're getting all kinds of stuff and their free stuff and clothes and money and uh, being ushered by different nonprofits to the next place and the next place and. Uh, My point is, is that when you do that, when you do those kinds of things, uh, the immigrants all have cell phones that are connected to social media. And if the New York mayor wants this to stop, they uh, are not going to have much luck doing it this way with the open arms because those people are sending selfies all the way back to Texas and then down trail from there about this warm materialistic welcome that they're getting in new york and uh abbott's gonna just have to get more buses to fill them up <laughs> and with more people that want to go they don't uh, get it people don't get that this is a live wire live intelligence network right right well that and that that's and let me
1: say let me pause todd bensman i i'm so familiar because i have him on so frequently and talk to him off the air at bensman todd is his twitter feed which is helpful to watch but he is of course the uh over at the center for immigration studies he's a a fellow there a national security fellow and uh his book america's covert border war uh is the untold story of of the uh, border program and how terrorist infiltration comes to the u.s border so he's an expert on this in lots of ways um but i'm I'm more interested, Todd, that maybe some of the pressure points of the of New York, you know, having to deal with this is getting some more attention on the issue because it's you know, the numbers are unbelievable. I mean, again, go to your Twitter feed or go to CIS.org, the Center for Immigration Studies, and you'll see one after another uh, the numbers. They're breaking every record. And and your point in this piece was, yeah, and they're they're doing TikToks and, and selfies and sending them back to people and saying, come on down.
3: Well, that's exactly right. That's what's driving this is the policies are put in place that open the door. Right. People walk through the door as they're walking through the door. They're taking selfies and photos and they're reporting to all the home villages. The home villages read this and see it for themselves. It's evidence. They don't have to listen to rumor or anything else. It's evidence. And they journey up to the door too, and pass through it. It's just that simple. This is why we just passed 1.8 million, a new U.S. record apprehensions for uh, so far this fiscal year. Uh, we still have another uh, few months to go to count. It's probably going to end up at about 2.1 million. By far the most, you know, probably 500,000 more than the. The last record that we broke, I mean, really huge numbers coming to the border
1: uh and we're we're talking with Todd Bensman um, and it's not slowing right it's if anything it's now steady or is it increasing i mean at this point the images on your twitter feed uh, there's that image of uh in uh what is it Coahuila? how do you say that and and uh, there's there's um, yeah but 18 yeah, b- wheelers with 300 migrants stuffed in there and, well, thank god when the images are taken they're breathing and healthy they're not yet in the terrible situation of what happened uh, uh months ago up uh, b- but i mean it's not slowing right nothing's
3: changing is it I mean, Maybe it's accelerating. The numbers are accelerating uh, month by month. And the reason is because policy is uh, allowing admittances. They're they're allowing quick paroles into the United States. If you come to the border and you're from this whole range, this whole list of nationalities and demographics, you get instantly paroled into the country. It's just irresistible and then once you're paroled in the country there's this all these nonprofits that are just giving you stuff taking care of everything for you moving you around helping you with the bus fare. It's, it's just too much uh there's no way for people to resist this so whole villages are just being turned into ghost towns down there uh people on their way to take take advantage of this it's just too good to be true
1: Uh, More uh, available, CIS.org, Center for Immigration Studies, uh, uh, CIS.org, for more information on a lot of this. Um, We're talking with Todd Benzman. Uh, Todd, um, NPR... Seemed to weigh in last week, and I know it was one of your colleagues. I think it was Steve Camarota who who did a piece that broke it down. But NPR uh, was out with something and said, "Oh, you know, um, well, they, these immigrant communities. There's polling, and, and people are really misguided. They think that immigrants uh, use social services to a higher degree than than uh, others. And then and you guys went right through and broke it down. Um, by the way, notwithstanding the if if there wasn't an illegal immigrant, they'd use zero. Right? Using one is it doesn't it doesn't matter if you use one more than an American citizen, you're you're using resources. It's a little bit like in schools when you hear that there's problems in schools in terms of the number of students at places. It's not only that they they cost more. And I think they do a lot of times because of language issues and others, but they cost from zero, you know, to to whatever it is. So but uh, my my question here is a little different. Is NPR uh, are they are they spinning because they know there's a problem because the polling is showing at least more and more independents and Republicans are identifying the border as a, a top issue.
3: Well, you have to remember that that this is a top issue. It's been polling consistently for a long time. It's even high among Democrats, although it's not as uh, as top tier as it is for Republicans. But there is a lot of worry out there about this, that this is going to become uh, some kind of an issue. So what the liberal media tends to do is is to ignore it and don't give any attention to it uh, so that it seems like it's not a real thing. It's something that Republicans are making up and fear mongering. And there are these really entrenched narratives that are not fact based, that are divorced from reality, like this uh, claim and by NPR that illegal immigrants don't use social services. They do, and they do in huge numbers. Uh, this is going to cost American taxpayers billions and billions of dollars. It's just like in New York or the Washington, D.C. area where you know illegal immigrants filled the homeless shelters and edged out American homeless, right? They're mad about right. American homeless getting edged out. It's no different than that. Those homeless shelters would not be filled up. The beds would not be filled up if this wasn't happening. So uh, they just want to ignore it into a kind of oblivion so that it's not as much of a of a um, political issue. And it fits with the biases of Democrats who just don't believe it. They just don't believe anything unusual is happening down there. I hear it all the time.
1: So, um, uh, uh, was the NPR the NPR story? Sorry, just to go back to it for a second. Is that just uh, uh, NPR as usual, or is it feel to you like they're trying to explain what they're seeing? In other words, it may just be NPR as usual. Whenever they can, they took this take the spin that looks the best to immigration. But I, I wondered if it was sort of, hey, we better try to really get out here and try to reframe this narrative because people are starting to catch on.
3: No, I th- I think. Probably the author of that Reporting just doesn't Know any better and they're being They're being hit with uh, Propagandistic Research uh, You know from like the Cato Institute And really it's really Strange that far left uh, Media people would rely On libertarian Cato research for their You know for their their Big conclusions the whole thing is just weird But I think it's just kind of laziness and the laziness fits it serves this purpose hmm. of just suppressing the what's really going on out there
1: well i we will put up on social media todd bensman the piece you wrote in the new york post uh, i like seeing that kind of popular press coverage of the issues that i think it's a combination of the issue plus as you, the headline says selfies it sort of catches your eye like what they're taking selfies but it has <laughs> a big effect so keep up the good work we'll have it back on again very soon and
3: i appreciate it very much Thank you very much. Glad awesome. to be here.
1: All right. Todd Benzman, everybody. I'll put up on social media uh, all of his uh, links and uh, all his places. And uh, he's a super guy, man. He's really helpful on this issue. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis
1: Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Donald Trump famously once told a hostile reporter, I never like to take credit for anything. In this spirit, Trump showed great class when he responded to the overturning of Roe v. Wade by saying, God made the decision. Trump easily could have taken credit for the win. It's hard to imagine a greater capstone to the legacy of President Donald Trump than overturning a 50-year legacy of death and destruction on American soil. Yet Trump chose a path of humility, and in doing so, he gave more dignity to the ruling itself. However, let's give credit where credit is due. Donald Trump went three for three on his Supreme Court nominees on the pro-life issue, and Republican never-Trumpers were wrong to oppose him. It wasn't easy for Trump to secure the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett, and especially Brett Kavanaugh, but Trump stuck to it to the end. In less than six years, Trump achieved the overturning of Roe that stymied Republicans for a half a century, a feat no other Republican president attained. All three of Trump's high court nominees were needed for this five to four margin of victory in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which reversed Roe entirely. Justices Alito and Thomas deserve special gratitude for courageously leading their three new colleagues against the scourge of Roe that has long been the sacred cow of the left. Many others too numerous to list deserve thanks for this spectacular triumph. Included in this list should be all who supported Trump in 2016 and all who support him now against retaliation by the left. Without Roe, liberals have no authority anymore for their campaigns that promote abortion. Without Roe, Democrat politicians no longer have a basis for continuing to loot taxpayers to fund abortion, which so many of we the people oppose. Perhaps most importantly... Without Roe, pro-life Americans have the green light they need to get about the business of ending the abortion industry in America once and for all. No longer can we say that our hands are tied by the dictates of the high court. History and our Heavenly Father will judge us for what we do with the opportunity that's been given us by President Donald Trump. Let's not waste it.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At PhyllisSchlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please join us in the battle for life at Phyllis Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Just got a little time to finish up in the category of making you smile. Let me make you smile. I got up uh, early on Monday morning. I was reading Politico, as I told you I like to do. Politico is a place to read what I would say is the smart, uh, pretty good writers of the left. And so there's a piece in the in Politico, maybe laugh out loud. The title is "There's a huge divide among Democrats over how hard to campaign for democracy." And it's breathless the story about how democracy is hanging by the brink, and we need to fight. And some people have been gathering to fight since last November, after the 2020 election, actually two Novembers ago. Um, and who is it? It's old veterans of the Carter administration. And it's a lengthy, like, think piece. This is how you know it's the dog days of summer. It's like a think piece in August about how there's a real debate about whether people like um, Gary Hart and... uh, uh, Les Francis a former Deputy White House Chief of Staff in the Carter administration they think that democracy hangs in the balance and others more modern probably I would say sane people think yeah I don't know not so much and it's really funny but it's funny to read because all they desperately want they desperately want this uh, article wants there to be a big fight and a big uh, movement and people that are smart are not buying it anyway it's, it's fun make you smile I'll put it up on social media uh, hey thank you as always to Noah Ding our great producer, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.
0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.